Hey, my comic shop history listeners, Anthony Desiato here. As you likely know, I host a Superman podcast called Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I know that many of you have already checked out the show, which I really appreciate, but I know that there are more of you out there who have not yet sampled Digging for Kryptonite. So what I wanted to do is uh, give you an episode here under the My Comic Shop history feed. I did this once before a few months ago, and I wanted to do it one more time before the longer Halloween concludes. Uh, so in a moment, I'm going to play for you a recent episode of Digging for Kryptonite featuring fellow Alternate Realities alum Mike San Gregorio. This is an episode that is kind of near and dear to me. It's called How the Arrowverse Failed the Clark Kent of Smallville. Uh, it's, it's all about Tom Welling's scene in the uh, television event, Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, and how I felt the... The treatment of the character betrayed the journey that Clark went on over the course of the 10-year uh, Smallville television series. Mike felt the opposite. Um, and so we had a really, a really interesting conversation as we presented our views and, uh, and, and tried to understand each other's perspectives on this. Uh, we also spent a good bit of time talking about the classic comic book story, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow by Alan Moore and Kurt Swan, uh, another quote-unquote final Superman story that the Arrowverse seemed to take a good bit of inspiration from uh, in that Tom Welling scene during Crisis. Uh, so again, this is an episode, a relatively recent episode of Digging for Kryptonite. And uh, again, if you, I know I've talked about Smallville a lot on my comic shop history over the years, so you know how much it means to me. Uh, so I thought this would be a fun episode to present. And uh, I think Mike is, uh, again, he was, it was a great guest for that episode. And I know you haven't heard Mike on The Longer Halloween because I've been podcasting with him elsewhere on my other shows. Um, but this way you'll get to hear Mike on, uh, on this show as well. So, uh, so again, I'm going to give you this episode here under My Comic Shop History, but if you have any interest in the other episodes, the past and upcoming episodes of Digging for Kryptonite, please make sure that you subscribe to that show. It's its own podcast feed, uh, and it's available on all major podcast platforms. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you will check out all the others. And without further ado, here is Digging for Kryptonite. A Superman action figure in a toy coffin a blue shirt and red jacket, a first flight in the sun above the Arctic tundra. These are some of the moments that define my Superman fandom. Together on this podcast, we journey across time and media to examine, discover, and reconsider the creative visions that have shaped the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss a pair of quote-unquote final Superman stories is returning guest Mike San Gregorio. Mike, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. This is an episode, and I know I say this about a number of our Digging for Kryptonite installments, but this is an episode I truly have been waiting to do patiently for a little over a year. From from the earliest point uh, at which I was I was even thinking about doing this podcast, I knew this was going to be one of the episodes, I said we were going to discuss a pair of, of final Superman stories. And specifically, um, we are going to discuss Tom Welling's return appearance as Clark Kent from the Smallville television series in the Crisis on Infinite Earths television event during the 2019-2020 television season. And we'll also discuss the comic book story that Crisis seemed to uh, take some inspiration from, the Alan Moore, Kurt Swan classic, 
whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. So those are the two, the two pieces that we'll be discussing here. Now, I, and I've discussed this on other episodes too, I've got this master spreadsheet of all my episodes. It's crazy. It's color-coded. I got all this stuff going on, including, including episode titles. And for a while, this was just going to be called Whatever Happened to the Clark Kent of Smallville, because I felt that that was a nice sort of blending of discussing Smallville and whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. But instead, I'm going to go with my heart <laughs> on this. <laughs> and instead, this episode is going to be called How the Arrowverse Failed the Clark Kent of Smallville, because I was not a fan of their treatment of Tom Welling's Clark in that one four-minute scene during the Batwoman episode of the five-part crossover. But I know you were a fan, and I am excited to compare notes. All right. I also want to say that in no way uh, do I consider this a debate. In no way do I want <laughs> to change your mind. No, I really want to be clear about this. I, if, if you came away from this episode and said, you know, I went into this, I really loved that scene in Crisis, and now after our conversation, you know what? I don't like it. I would feel terrible. That's the last thing I would ever want to do, honestly, for you or for any listener, truly. Mm-hmm. If anything, I, I hope you convince me. I mean, I would love to come out of this being like, oh, you know what? It actually wasn't that bad. So, I, you know, I really want to be clear with that. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, to, you know, to, to, to turn it sour for you. That's definitely not, that's definitely not my intention. But I do feel strongly about it. And I have from the moment I watched it uh, at the end of 2019. And so I'm glad that we can finally talk about it. Yeah, I'm very excited. I, I loved that scene, and uh, I remember thinking, like, wow, I can't wait to discuss this with Anthony as soon as it aired. So, on the note of Smallville, a couple of uh, quick quick notes here. So, the last episode, one of my favorite episodes that I've done so far, uh, comic book artist V. Ken Marion joined me, and we counted down our top 10 favorite moments from Smallville. I have to share, you'll appreciate this, some of our listeners will as well, Rich Roney, a mutual friend of ours and someone who's been on multiple episodes of this podcast. I had a conversation with him the, the morning after I did that recording with Ken. And I said, you know, we counted down our top 10 favorite moments. And he goes, he goes, oh, what were your top 10 favorite moments? And I was like, what do you want me to recite the episode? I said, just listen to it. When it comes out. <laughs> I mean, look, you well know, and Rich knows, everybody knows. I could talk Smallville for a while, but, you know, I, it was literally the night before. I was like, I can't go through all 10 of these. Uh, but, but, but bless his heart. I hope, I hope that he got a chance to listen and that he enjoyed. And I really hope for all of our listeners or viewers uh, that you enjoyed our top 10 countdown. Because that really was, um, it was a ton of fun. And I'm happy to now be able to continue discussing Smallville a bit here. So it's funny with, with both of these, these pieces, I, you know, I don't know how much context is really necessary. I mean, if you're a comic book fan, a Superman fan, I think a lot of this you probably know, but real quick, uh, when we're talking about Smallville, of course, that's the decade long television series starring Tom Welling chronicling the early years of Clark Kent uh, during his journey, his path to becoming Superman uh, aired on the WB and then later the CW. The show concluded in May of 2011 and then, again, during the, the previous uh, television season, the 2019-2020 season, the uh, stable of Arrowverse shows on the CW, all produced under the Greg Berlanti banner, um, Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, Batwoman, and Legends of Tomorrow, they mounted a five-show, five-part television adaptation 
of the classic comic book story Crisis on Infinite Earths. And really, you know, I think the, the fun of it for fans, and I overall enjoyed the crossover quite a bit. It was, it was a lot of fun. The fun of it, though, I think was seeing actors who had played DC characters in other projects and other television shows and movies pop up in this as the entire multiverse was uh, in danger. And so one of those return appearances was Tom Welling, uh, again, reprising his version of Clark Kent uh, from the television show uh, for a one for one four minute scene uh, that aired during the Batwoman installment uh, at the very end of 2019. So that's what we're talking about. And we'll give a little context for whatever happened to the man of tomorrow when when we get to that, too. But um, you had emailed me something uh, ahead of our recording. Would you like to share uh, what what you had discovered in your prep for today? Yes. Uh, for anyone familiar with either Crisis the Show or Crisis the Comic, you know that uh, all the Earths in the DC universe or multiverse are numbered. Uh, traditionally, Superman lives on Earth 1, and uh, the World War II characters live on Earth 2, and so on and so forth. And when the Crisis show occurred, a bunch of worlds that had been seen in other projects but never named needed needed numbers, basically. So the Michael Keaton Batman universe became Earth 89 because it had premiered in 1989 uh, and you know so on and so forth. But the Earth of Smallville, instead of getting the year of its premiere, was instead Earth 167, which, according to Mark Guggenheim, is the uh, truncated version of the year the two co-creators were born, uh, Miles and, and Gao. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name. So it's it's Earth 167. It's part of the greater DC multiverse, and uh, hopefully we'll see it again. I don't think we ever will, but that's a nice thought. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice thought. Um, one thing I did want to mention, because you, you talked about Smallville being on the air for a decade, um, I, I know this is not very well known, but in between the four-minute scene and the um, final episode of the show, there there was a comic book series, which was called Smallville Season 11, uh, and normally I wouldn't say that a comic based on a show was one of the best things ever made, but this was. It was written by a writer named Brian Q. Miller, who I'm a huge, massive fan of, uh, and he was given free reign to play around with uh, the DC mythology and using Smallville as a base, and he gives every adventure of Superman that you would want to see that character go through in short, quick issues that just fly through, and if you uh, are lucky enough to pick up uh, the comics either digitally or in their collected editions, if you start with season one, issue one, and you go to the end, you get a complete story. So for anyone who hasn't read that, uh, I, I can't recommend it enough. It is one of my favorite Superman stories. I'm glad you mentioned that. And we've talked about this before. And, I, you know, because I mentioned my spreadsheet, right, my crazy spreadsheet with, with all the episodes that I look forward to doing over the course of the years of this podcast that, that I hope to be able to do. And that's on there. Uh, people might be surprised, given my deep affinity for Smallville, that I never uh, that I never read the comic. Um, and it's not because I didn't know about it or that I didn't care. Um, the fact that it exists uh, d- does not offend me. I'm glad that it's there. I'm glad you love it. I've talked to others who who are big fans of it. So I'm, I'm that's great. I've really had this resistance just because I feel like the show was the show, and I want it to just sort of remain its own thing. 
again, is that the best reason to not read a comic that by, by many accounts is, is a lot of fun and that I'll probably enjoy? No, and I will get to it and I will read it, but that's why I haven't. It's this weird thing. And I know you and others have said, it's like, oh, it's great. You see him as Superman. And it's like, well, if we didn't get to see it on the show, it's like, I don't need to read it in a comic. That, that's been my feeling. Um, but that's actually a perfect segue to, to what I want to say. Can you just do me a quick favor? Do you mind turning down the volume on your headphones just, just a tad? Because I'm oh, yeah, picking sure. up a little bit of myself in the echo there. Much appreciated. So that's actually a perfect segue because I want to talk about, I don't know what it was like for you, but it was a roller coaster of emotions for me uh, <laughs> in the lead up to Tom Welling's appearance on Crisis. <laughs> and, I, you know, it's funny. We've done other episodes and I've done episodes with other people and I've had a glass of bourbon. I've got this monstrous, <laughs> this monstrous cold brew <laughs> and we're doing this on a Friday night. It's after eight o'clock and I'm like, I I'm ready to go. You know, the other thing that's really funny is uh, you and I are also in the midst of a two-part discussion of Grant Morrison's new X-Men run on my other podcast, My Comic Shop Book Club. And after we recorded part one of that, which is out now, hopefully people have checked it out. Off mic, you said to me, you were like, so for next week, we're talking about the, that one scene, right? And the two-part Alan Moore story. You're like, is that going to be enough for a full episode? And I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, you don't even know. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> I've been ready for this. We, I, Even if we weren't talking about the Alan Moore story. I could do an hour on uh, on on that four minute scene. Okay, we we might not get to the Alan Moore story, which is ironic because again, I'm sure it's one of the top five greatest Superman stories ever written, and it's going to be an afterthought to this. So I'm very excited. <laughs> we can always do another more episode in the future. That's true, That's and true. we we might, and we might. oh, and you know, on the note of Morrison, you and I, I've tapped you for this. You're on my list for next year. We're going to do an epic multi-episode look at Grant Morrison's Superman on this podcast. So for anyone who's like, oh, I haven't talked about All-Star Superman yet, just you wait. Okay. So when it was announced that the Arrowverse was going to be tackling Crisis, right? They started making these announcements about all the actors who were coming back. And, and almost immediately, right, there was a lot of speculation about Tom Welling coming back as Clark. My initial reaction was very mixed. I really felt, for much the same reason that I haven't read the comic, the small, the season 11 Smallville comic, I felt like, again, Smallville was its own thing, and I wanted it to remain a closed universe. I didn't need it to be part of the Arrowverse, Arrowverse multiverse, or whatever you want to call it. So I was a little bit mixed. I wasn't necessarily chomping at the bit, like, oh, I hope Welling does it. That being said... And here's the roller coaster. Once they announced he was coming back, I remember seeing the article on TV Line, which is my go-to TV news site. And I remember seeing that and it was like a jolt of excitement. I was so excited. What was your initial reaction? I, I wasn't surprised uh, and I was very excited. I wasn't surprised because uh, Tom Welling had recently been on Lucifer as um, as a recurring character on on that show. And for those who, who don't know, Lucifer is another uh, DC Comics property. Uh, it's, it's a little off the beaten path, but you know, Lucifer and Superman, I'm sure, have met at some point. So I wasn't surprised. Um, I was. A little disappointed because uh, for people who don't know this, my favorite character in Smallville is Lex Luthor. Uh, I think Michael Rosenbaum was perfect, and he really gave me inroads to all the characters in that show uh, through his point of view. So when he when it was announced that he was not confirmed and he was on the fence, that actually brought me 
down because I really wanted him to come back. Um, for those who don't know, in the Crisis on Infinite Earths comic, a Lex Luthor uh, from an alternate Earth, Earth-3, is, is, a, is a big deal. He plays a major role in the story, uh, so much so that he's actually in the sequel that comes out, I think it's 20 years later, Infinite Crisis. So I was hoping that they might give him that role. I don't even know if I knew about John Cryer at the time, but I, I was hoping he might be able to step in. Uh, that would also mean he wouldn't have had to shave his head, <laughs> which I knew was always a, a big thing back in the day. But uh, when I found out that he was not going to be part of, of what we did end up getting, I was I was a little let down. But uh, So I, I had a bit of the opposite reaction you did. Gotcha. And I... I... I too was disappointed that Rosenbaum didn't come back. Um, you know, going back to the series finale of Smallville, his participation came down to the wire and there was a, a good stretch where it seemed like that was not happening. I remember the article on TV line saying Rosenbaum not returning for the finale. And I was like, what the hell? And they worked it out and we ended up getting probably one of my favorite Clark Lex scenes of the entire show. You know, they go on to ruin it in Lex's uh, subsequent scene. But for that moment, it was great. Well, it was great while it lasted. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I too I shared your disappointment about about Rosenbaum not coming back, but I was excited when I saw the the Welling news. It was funny because in the press release, uh, and I think I don't know if it was a quote from Guggenheim or just maybe it was part of the press release itself, but it said that Crisis would reveal what happened to Clark Kent nearly a decade after Smallville. Now the words "what happened" immediately you know, got my, got my antenna up because that of course calls to mind whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, which we'll talk about in this episode. So that was the first instance where I was like, that was an interesting choice of words. I mean, maybe, you know, at the time I was like, I don't know, maybe that was just, you know, just their word choice, but I couldn't help but think there was a little something to it. I also wondered to myself, like, what do you mean? What happened? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Was this a question? I mean, Small, Smallville ends, he becomes Superman. We flash forward seven years in the series finale. So you're talking now like just a little bit of time after the last point at which we saw him in Smallville. And I, I just remember thinking to myself, it was the first little inkling of like, this might not go the way you want it to go, Desi. Like, <laughs> I was just like, why, that was just my reaction. I was, I was like, well, what, like, what, what do you mean? That was my that was my reaction. So again, that roller coaster was very mixed, then excited, then a little apprehensive. Uh, yeah. I, I think a lot of ways too. You and I have the opposite reaction to to news like this because when Smallville started, you were already a Superman fan and you were excited for the show. I was not. Um, I never found Superman to be very interesting. So when Smallville started, I was only watching it because it was superheroes on TV. We didn't have a lot of that back in the, the early 2000s. Um, and then I began to love the show because, and I always tell people this, they basically made Clark Kent into Peter Parker. <laughs> he has powers. He's in high school. He's not sure of what's going to go on. Is he going to go with, with Gwen? Is he going to go with Mary Jane? So I, I was sold. And then when you when you introduce a very young, uh, very much morally on the fence Lex, I, I was sold. And I, I love that show. And I watched all 10 seasons of it. Um, with, with glee, basically. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was part of the reason why you were like, well, wait, 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 what are you doing? And I was like, oh, cool, Tom Welling is back and he's bringing Erica with him. So this is great. My DVR is already set. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I hadn't mentioned that, but yeah, Erica Durant also uh, came back as Lois very briefly in that scene during Crisis. Uh, she also appeared as Supergirl's mother elsewhere in the crossover, which yeah. was a role she had had for a little bit on the Arrowverse. Uh, she had taken that role over from Laura Benanti, who originated it. So there was a recast there, and, and she came Oh, I didn't in. even know that. Okay. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I fully admit that, you know, <laughs> you know, we both love the show, obviously, in, in different ways and came to it from different places. I guess, yeah, I, for whatever reason, do feel very protective of it. I know I keep saying this, but just this idea of like, I want the show to remain. Let me also say this. It was not a perfect show. I'm not saying like, listen, this show did no wrong. Nothing could ever touch it. No, it was, it was at times it could be very frustrating to watch. I loved it to death, but it could be very frustrating to watch at, at certain points. But again, I just, I felt that it ended well. And I felt like we went on a journey with the character and that that journey culminated the way it should. And so to revisit that, again, I just had, I had some mixed feelings. But again, all that being said, leading up to, that Batwoman episode. I was excited for Crisis overall, but I knew we knew that the appearance was coming in Batwoman, and I was excited. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, my wife and I are both avid television watchers. We have our shows. There's stuff that we look forward to, but I mean, the excitement that I felt was something I, I really had an experience since Smallville w- was on. You know, like there's been a lot of TV I've I've loved. There's been a lot of TV I've looked forward to, but not. Not with that fervor, like not with that level of anticipation. Like I was really, I was really excited. Do you recall, I mean, again, I don't know how much you were following this online and stuff, but there were some fans who seemed to think that there was some chance (laughs) that Welling was going to wear the costume. Are you familiar? Like, are you aware of, of some of the speculation that was going on? I, no, I, honestly, I'm not. But I, I do remember where I was when I first saw that Brandon Ralph would be wearing the Kingdom Come outfit. Uh, so once I saw that, I kind of said, oh, okay, wait a second. I don't know that Tom Welling is going to necessarily be the one who, you know, in Crisis on Infinite Earth, the comic Superman, it's basically Superman's story. So the character has a, a major role. And I figured that, you know, in addition to Tyler Hecklin, there would be one or two other people to wear the cape. But once I saw Brandon Routh as the Kingdom Come Superman, I said, okay, wait a second. If they're giving this other movie Superman the the role of, of the mature mentor Superman, then what is the planned role for, for Tom Welling? And then that's kind of when I backed off and said, okay, this might be a smaller part part that I'm hoping for. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, as far as the size of the part, I can't remember at what point this came out, but it was known that it was going to be a scene. Like I remember going into Batwoman knowing it was going to be a scene. As far as the costume, I mean, your, your reasoning makes perfect sense, but honestly, I just, from the start, I was like, there's no way in hell this guy is putting on a costume now. He didn't wear, I mean, the, the thing, and I also, again, going back to my mixed feelings, and I know people might be like, I can't believe you would feel this way, but I wouldn't have really wanted to see him wear the costume in the Batwoman part of a five-part Arrowverse event when he could have worn it at the end of his own decade-long show and didn't, and instead we had CGI, and Ken and I talked about that in the last episode, and so... You know, I, so it wasn't even something that I necessarily wanted, and I definitely knew he wasn't going it. I was like, there's no way this guy's going to wear a costume. So as far as some of, I think some fans might have been disappointed in that respect, and I wasn't. That was not my objection to um, to that to that scene. Uh, the last thing, again, by way of setup, but just this just this uh, roller coaster of events here. <laughs> I knew he wasn't going to wear the costume. It was more a question of like, okay, how did they get around that? And I felt like there were plenty of options for them for them to do that. Then the set photos came out, and we saw Tom Welling on the farm 
uh, wearing his his gray shirt and red flannel uh, with his axe and his his work gloves. And again, I don't know how closely you were following this stuff, but instantly, well, I'll be honest, I don't know that I even, I don't know that I was so dialed into the gloves initially. I think it might've been, you know, people reading, I, mean, I was reading people's comments and then I was like, oh yeah, like he's wearing gloves. Superman wouldn't need gloves to chop wood, right? So that, oh, sure, that sure. was the, that was, that was another indication of like, okay, we might, we might be dealing with a powerless Clark, but again, it was only a photo and there was, I was, I could rationalize it away and I felt like, nah, like, you know, maybe he's keeping up appearances or it could be any number of reasons why. Maybe Tom Welling, the actor, didn't like the feel of the axe. And so he requested, I, I, I talked myself into, it's, like, it's not that he's powerless, but there was that indicate, like the, that definitely, again, raised the antenna of like, okay, they might be going in a direction that I'm not totally going to be on, on board for, but so going into the episode, that was sort of everything that I, I had swirling around. And, but overall, really, it was a lot of excitement. Uh, and then the night came, and we watched the scene. And I think we should just really break down the scene. In my mind, it failed the Clark Kent of Smallville of Earth-167. <laughs> For you, I know it honored the Clark of Earth-167. So I would, as the guest, I want to give you the floor first to, to tell me uh, what, what worked for you about it. Uh, sure. Did you want to describe the scene, or we just assume everyone's seen it? Or let's. You're, that's a good. Let's 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 break it down. Um, so, well, do you want to kick us off? Do you want me to? How would you like to do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, um, uh, w- one of the things I like about it again, this is this is a four minute scene. It's it's very easy to find uh, on YouTube. It it opens the first thing you see before you even see any of the new or old characters is you see the Daily Planet headlines hanging up on a wall and they all detail out the various adventures of Superman. So you immediately know that you are on a world that features a Superman who's had a storied career and that's important because at this point in crisis they're jumping around to various worlds, uh, a lot of which are dying. So the characters will show up minutes before everyone's imminent demise uh, and then you uh, go into our Clark, Tom Welling, uh, chopping wood, and uh, the Arrow versus versions of Superman, uh, Lois Lane, and Iris West, who's the Flash's wife, show up, and uh, they have a little bit of small talk, and then uh, they disappear, and out walks John Cryer, the Lex Luthor of Supergirl of the Arrowverse. They have a little bit of uh, back and forth. There's the huge reveal. Uh, John Cryer leaves, and uh, Erica Durance returns uh, with the uh, with the closing act. So, yeah, I um, let me say this because I, for the most part, on this podcast, you know, I, and I've said this many times, but this is a celebration, you know, of Superman, right? And so I don't often like to to you know dump on things, but I do share my opinion, and I do want to be honest and and. Uh, I know there might be others who feel the same way. In fact, I texted uh, Ken Marion and I said, anything you want me to re- to uh, share on the episode on your behalf? And uh, he, he, he and I are similarly aligned. I'm not, I'm not saying that everything I say also speaks for him, but big picture in terms of our overall reaction to this, he and I are similarly aligned. But uh, you, you two are similarly aligned a lot when it comes to DC stuff. So I, I always think of him when I'm talking to you and, and vice versa, because you guys help explain each other. <laughs> Fair enough. So what I, but I want, so there was a lot that I did like about the scene. So I too liked that, um, the, the wall of articles 
uh, that we pan across uh, until we get to that reveal through the through the barn door of, of Clark uh, chopping wood. And I thought that immediately between the um, the way it was shot, the music, uh, again, those those newspaper clippings, it all very quick and the setting, the setting on the farm immediately made you feel like you were back in the world of that television show. And that's no small feat. I mean, it helps that, you know, all these shows film at the same place. But um, but they really I felt like they captured in, in a very short amount of time. I felt like they really captured um, the feel of Smallville. Like I felt like I was back in that world. And so I do commend them for that. And we do get, uh, you know, the Earth-167, that designation. And, uh, you know, you gave us the, the explanation for that, which is a nice nod, again, to the, the Smallville creators. Uh, we uh, cut to a close-up of Clark, right, uh, chopping the wood and uh, wiping his brow. So immediately it becomes clear that he does not have his powers. I think at that point I might have I still been holding out some hope. I don't know what. At that point I was just deluding myself. But... Very quickly, you see this is this is not a powered Clark, um, and it was at that moment that uh, I probably let out a huge groan because it was just like I knew they were going to pull this nonsense. Uh, and then, yes, we have the arrival of the Arrow versus Clark, Lois, and Iris West. They've come to enlist Clark's help slash warn him that the John Cryer Lex from the Arrowverse is scouring the multiverse. Uh, looking to to kill Superman in every incarnation. Lois and Iris are very taken with the appearance of uh, of of Earth 167's Clark. Uh, very different <laughs> physicality when we compare the, the um, Tom Welling and Tyler Hecklin. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so they're very taken with this Clark. They start to you know to talk to him. <clears throat> they mention that Lex is gunning for him, and Clark's reaction is, "Oh, I didn't know the president was in town." And of course, right, Smallville viewers remember that in that seven year flash forward at the end of the series finale, Lex was elected president, as had been preordained multiple times throughout Smallville. And that was one of the reasons that I had an issue with this, right? So all, overall, my, my big picture problem with this was that I felt it undermined Clark's journey by having him choose to give up his powers after everything he went through in Smallville. And I have <laughs> more to say on that, but that's my, my big picture thing. And I felt like at every turn where they could have alleviated my frustrations, they just dug a deeper hole for themselves. And the Lex <laughs> reference is a perfect point because this reference to Lex being the president, it's like... It's one thing if Clark gave up his powers, all his enemies were defeated and his quest was over. But clearly this person is still out there and still a threat. And yes, you can argue he probably trained the Justice League and told them what to do. But I, the fact that he would walk away while Lex is still out there in power, uh, that, that, that bugged me. I won't lie. Uh, but so we get that reference. And before anything can happen, as you said, Cryer shows up and uh, banishes the rest of the Arrowverse heroes. And then we have the showdown between Welling and Cryer. Uh, again, I'm with you. You know, I have to imagine that had Rosenbaum agreed to do it, that they would have worked out some way for that to be Rosenbaum in his place. And that, yeah. you know, I still would have had the same frustrations with it, but that would have, you know, and, I, you know, I'll be honest, I actually I quite like the Cryer Lex. It's its own thing, you know, but uh, but it didn't have, you know, it just didn't have the weight, you know, to have the two of them as it, as it would have otherwise. But, um, you know, we have this confrontation between the two of them. And again, going back to things that I actually did like um, when 
Lex starts to chastise Clark for giving up his powers, <laughs> Clark is like, I can't say I've missed these chats. And that did make me laugh because that was, you know, we went through that numerous times on Smallville where, uh, you know, especially in the, you know, towards the end of Lex's journey on the show when he, when he knew who Clark was and what he could do there, that idea was, uh, you know, it <laughs> was, uh, was discussed between the two of them. So I thought that was funny and a nice nod to the show. And when Cryer, you know, takes a swing at Clark and Clark blocks it and then counters with a punch of his own and says, huh, still stronger. Great moment. So I, I like yeah. that very much, but. You know, it's in the course of this conversation, right, that it's revealed. We, we get definitive uh, proof that Clark has lost his powers when Lex tries to use kryptonite, right? It has no effect on Clark. Clark just picks it up. He tosses it. And he explains. And he's very smug as he explains. It has no effect on me since I gave up my powers. He's, there's no regret there. There's no nothing. He's very content in his in his decision. And, you know, Lex takes a step forward and he steps on a child's toy or he steps on something. He moves his foot. We see and he sees it's a child's toy. And so at that point, you know, it becomes very clear uh, that Clark has a child or children. And it's a very heartwarming moment where he says that, uh, you know, his children are worth more than any superpower. Right. And then we have, you know, the, the, the punch and all that. And, and, and Lex, uh, you know, leaves. Lois comes out, right, as you said, and uh, talks about the mess that their daughters have made. They laugh off the threat that has been that has been discussed, right? So, like, these people came from another universe. You know, Clark's been through a lot of stuff. You would think that this might kind of set off some alarms for him, but he doesn't really seem too bothered by the threat of the multiverse ending. And Lois thinks it's a joke. This great investigative mind um, just thinks, oh, no, no big deal. Uh, and they walk off together. They walk off towards the farm, the same farm that they filmed on during the Smallville show. And um, and that was that. I, so a couple of things. Um, when uh, when I saw him with the gloves, my, my first thought wasn't, oh, he has no powers, is those are probably his dad's gloves. And whether or not he has superpowers or not, if there's one thing I know about the Clark Kent of Smallville, it's that he is enamored with John Kent, warts and all. Like, that is the man he wanted to be. Um, so when I saw him with work gloves and a shirt and everything else, I said, well, you finally got your wish. You know, you can, you probably have flown, you've probably been back in time, you've probably seen the very edges of the universe. But at the end of the day, coming home, putting on your dad's gloves and doing an honest day's work is probably something that sits very well with you. So I thought that was great. I thought that was a great introduction to him. Um, part of me thought that just like in the in the comic, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, that someone was going to destroy his clothing and underneath would be a, a brand new Superman suit or a suit he'd borrowed from somewhere, something like that. But yeah, it very quickly becomes that that's not the case. Um, I love the scene where Lois shows up and they laugh off the crisis. And the, the reason for that is, and maybe this is part of the reason why I like this so much, is I have to imagine that in the decade or the, the 17 years or however you want to frame the time that's elapsed, that this version of Superman has done everything. I just imagine, and again, I have no support for this whatsoever, that that man has saved the multiverse a hundred times. And this is not the first time a bunch of alternate versions. He's not phased when a guy who looks nothing like Michael Rosenbaum shows up claiming to be Luther, claiming to kill him. He's not even, he doesn't like even react differently. And I love that because this is a Clark who is in 
who isn't trying to hide who he is anymore. It's a Clark who's accepted that and just moved on. And it's just like, what what are you doing here? Please, please go away. Like Clark knows that everything's going to be okay because he's Superman or, or he was Superman and he knows that things are going to be all right. Cause they've always been all right. And yeah, to your point, I mean, one of the things I loved about Smallville is we always talk about how it's a Superman show, but Dozens of other superheroes were shown over the course of 10 years. I mean, you know, I always say that a, a great comic I would read is like Smallville's World's Finest, where that version of Clark and that version of Green Arrow just go off and have adventures because I, I thought they had great, great chemistry. Heck, I'd still, I was hoping Justin Hartley would show up as Aquaman and, and Crisis. We didn't get that, which was unfortunate. But um, yeah, I, I, I assumed that there was a whole Justice League on the moon, all those characters and, and everyone. And, and if this was really going to be bad they would have they would have went there um but uh yeah i love that lois just laughs it off and she doesn't just laugh it off as oh okay another another adventure you know do you definitely could have dealt with this one she's like you've never even made a joke before good good job smallville and then she like grabs him and she goes in the kitchen so that he can clean up after his daughters and i love that because it's like you know some things change and other things stay exactly the same and to have the first words out of her mouth be like hey you made a joke i knew you were making progress after at least 10 years of marriage warmed me because those were always my favorite parts of smallville once lois lane showed up was the two of them just you know being normal people with each other like there's a reason that clark stays on this earth and keeps this identity and everything else and whether it's in the superman and lois show or the old movies or 80 years worth of comics it's how much he loves lois lane so i it just landed with me it was just everything i was expecting and everything i wanted i'm glad you enjoyed it and your no, no, no your points your points are well taken and i think that Yes, you can sort of use your headcanon to fill in the gaps and concoct the back... Concoct has connotations, but to, to craft a backstory that, uh, that, that I think justifies the choice that they made. Uh, but I guess I'm less willing to do that, I guess for a few reasons. And, you know, here's the thing. I don't begrudge the Clark of Smallville a, a happy ending. And the idea that he's with his family on the farm that he grew up on um, in a place that's meant a lot to him, I don't hate that, right? And I'm happy for the character in in a sense. So it's not like I begrudge him a happy ending. I guess it bothered me that they felt that was the only version of a happy ending that that I guess they, you know, felt, you know, was worth pursuing. My greatest frustration with this was that you know, I loved the 10-year run, but so much, when when I say the show was frustrating, you know, they got a lot of angst and a lot of mileage out of his desire to be normal and his desire to be human. And I think especially in those teen high school years and, you know, entering his early adulthood, that made sense. And it was, you know, it, it gave the show, uh, you know, a, a very strong, you know, dramatic thrust and they, they got a lot of mileage out of it. But, to me at least, like the point of the show was by the end of that finale, and it really took until the end of that finale, he was able to reconcile both parts of himself, the human and the Kryptonian, the mild-mannered reporter and the superhero, and the Jonathan and Jor-El. It all kind of it all kind of came together. And at least from my perspective as a fan of that version of the character and as a viewer of that show. In my mind, that 
desire to, oh, I just really want to be normal wasn't there anymore. He had moved beyond that. Like the, the thing that had held him back for so long, this desire to be normal, I just felt like by the end of that journey, we were, we were past that point. And so the idea that the first chance they had, the first time we're going to see this character on screen in a decade, almost at that point, they were going to, to mine what, for me at least, had been one of the more frustrating aspects of the show. That's what I just, like, it just bugged me. And, you know, I love, like I said, I love that they set it on on the farm, right? And they, they've talked about that, that they felt like that represented, you know, the truest, most iconic, classic version of the Clark Kent of Smallville. And I agree, honestly. I mean, as much as, yeah, it would have been cool to see Lois and Clark at the planet, you know, when you when you look at when you think about Smallville, you think of the farm. You think of him on you know in the field baling hay or whatever, chopping. Not, not so much chopping wood, but that's obviously what they went with here, and that worked great. And so that aspect of it was made perfect sense to me, and I thought that was lovely. Um, but yeah, it just I felt like the I, how do I put this that if you had picked Clark at almost any moment in his journey especially in the early seasons, but even in some of the later seasons, this would have been a perfect conclusion for him, right? That's what his, I think, what his ultimate desire was at, at some of the earlier points in the show. But I feel like it just didn't respect how far he got by the end of it. Also, this is pretty nitpicky, but the, the idea that it took him 10 years to become Superman, his, his career as Superman lasted less than that. I, I, you know, again, a little nitpicky, but it kind of it bugged me. No, th those are all very good points. I think the way I was looking at it was if if HBO Max had said there's going to be a new Smallville show, we've gotten all the actors back together, it's going to be eight episodes, it's going to be great, then yeah, I agree with you. I would have expected to see Tom Welling in costume grappling with the threats we expect Superman to deal with. But I didn't think that that would be fair to this because in this crisis crossover they were saying hey let's check in on those characters from the show smallville so if another superman randomly showed up and lois was like hey who are these people doing in the planet bullpen like yeah okay you could have gotten around it but to your point like that's not what the bulk of the decade worth of show was it was these these two or, or more characters on the farm grappling with who they wanted to be when when they weren't in danger um but the 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 other thing that that jumps out at me is, you know, he, the 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 character of Clark on that show. It's been so much time being in danger because of who he was and constantly losing people and constantly going through all this stuff that the idea that he'd be lucky enough to still be married to this woman and, and he was able to keep her out of danger and they finally were like, hey, you want to settle down and, and have kids and something, some mechanism was triggered that allowed him to lose his powers and say, well, I'm going to focus on this. That also makes sense to me because again, you know, Clark on the show, all his happiest memories are being in this place where he's very safe and where he's with those that he loves. I mean, you know, one big thing that Smallville added to the mythology that just hadn't been there beforehand is the fact that he hides his powers. You know, the original Superboy threw on a costume. He acted as a superhero. He met the Legion. He did all these things. Um, this was this was one where it was like, you know, the, the red-blue blur. Who else but you and I get excited when we, we hear that name? It's like, you know, Clark was really about, like, I have to hide my abilities. I have to work on becoming something else. So the idea that he could jettison a lot of that and raise his, his two girls, his daughter, I mean, uh, be with his wife and, and what have you, just 
struck me as as a natural place for those characters to end up. Now, again, if there were going to be a new Smallville show or he were going to show up and join the Arrow versus Justice League or any of that nonsense, then yeah, please put him in a costume and let you know the Superman of the multiverse begin. But for a four-minute scene, it's like, yeah, that, that felt like Smallville. And that felt like a version of Smallville that I kind of missed. And uh, I don't know, I just... Him not having powers makes sense to me because it's like, well, you want this. You know, when he says this, this, this adventure with my kids, with my family is worth the trade off, I believe him. And, and I think there's ample evidence in the show to say, like, yeah, you're a lot happier when you don't have to worry about hearing everyone in the world scream, you know, save me to, to quote the theme song that I still love after all these years. Again, good points. And I have, I have, I have. Thoughts about a few of them. Let's just do a 30-second commercial break. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about a comic shop in Texas called Hive. Uh, so we'll be back in 30 seconds. The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, the Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday, and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. So uh, picking up our, our conversation there, you know, again, I did not expect nor want to see him as Superman. And the I, like I said, the fact that he was on the farm made perfect sense. And I, I guess in my ideal scenario there just would have been some other reason why we didn't see him suit up maybe he gives them some advice and then they get pulled away before he has a chance maybe he says he has to stay here and safeguard his earth maybe he says oh let me go get my costume and by the time he comes back they're gone and we just see the boots and the cape or something i don't know so you know again the overall i did not expect a larger role for him but again i do think that they're are other ways that they could have approached it that again for me at least would have been more palatable i also wouldn't have minded some ambiguity if they had kept it a little bit like you could interpret it one way or the other whether or not he still had his powers or why he doesn't have his powers i mean it was very clear i gave up my powers i mean again and the same thing with lex still being present like there are certain things that i think they could have done that for me would have mitigated the frustrations i had with it and Again, like I don't disagree with you. Yeah, for most of the points along the series, he he did long to be normal. He didn't want to be different. Um, and the idea of a normal life was appealing. There were in times when he used blue kryptonite and or when Jor-El stripped him of his powers. And he, you know, at least for a time, he was content. I just felt like by the end of the show, I where and I don't want to keep I know I don't want to harp on this because I know I've said it a few times, but I just feel like by the end of the show, he had gotten to a to a different place and again like we said before it's like yeah you can fill in enough backstory and you're right they only had four minutes and i think you know ultimately they did what they could i guess if this was the track that they wanted to you know to place him on i, I think there's something else that's very important um this was this was the arrow versus story it wasn't a smallville story and the only reason i bring that up is because they're this four-minute scene in the larger narrative of Crisis serves as character development for John Cryer's Lex. 
the, the, the characters from Smallville do nothing. You know, they show up, they laugh, they stare at the camera, they have aged beautifully, and they move on with their lives. And do I want to see a spinoff show featuring them? Yes. Please, 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 please discover Warner. Give me a new Smallville show. But I did love watching John Cryer's Lex say, you were a god you are a god and and clark doesn't even hesitate clark's like yes i i know we've had this discussion before i've had it with more interesting versions of lex luther than you um and i love that lex can't wrap his mind around what superman is and that's why he keeps losing to superman and the line we keep jumping over too is he says it's ridiculous that on earth 167 clark kent is superman i know clark kent and i know superman they can't be the same for he wears glasses he doesn't say that but you know it, it's this it's this old trope right of superman where it's like lex luthor is the smartest person to ever exist anywhere in all of fiction he can't figure out who superman is because his 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 weakness is arrogance, right? He can't imagine that you would be unto God and you would live as a mortal. It just wouldn't occur to him. He he can't do it, so why would anyone else do it? And I love that that is the easiest and simplest way to defeat the character here. Like, what does he say at the end of the scene? He says, you're not worth it. Like, you are Superman in this world. You gave up your powers and and now you're just looking at it. You don't even have the the... You're not even afraid of me. How dare you? And he's got the Book of Destiny with him. And for those who don't know, the Book of Destiny is just as powerful as the Infinity Gauntlet from the the Marvel things, except it doesn't have the downside of needing, for some reason, to sacrifice your life in the films. So he could have written in there like, hey, this Clark has powers again, and uh, this Clark is now going to die by my hand. He could have written whatever he wanted, but he says, no, you're you're not even worth it. You gave your powers up. Uh, And then another thing that I just like to point out is that in no well-known story does Lex ever have that. You know, in, in 80 years of continuity, except for the couple of times that he's also into Lois, you know, there's no great love of Lex. And that's really unfortunate because he's he's kind of a lonely dude. Like, he's got Otis in the movies, he's got Miss Teschmacher, but, you know, for the most part, Lex doesn't go home to anyone. And uh, I thought it was kind of funny that, like, he couldn't even imagine giving up whatever power he could be considered to have, to have something like that, to share your life with someone and to raise the next generation. Uh, whereas Clark is like, it's not even a, it's not even a contest. Like I've done amazing things as, as Superman and, and I've dealt with bigger threats than you. I, I mean, the, you know, you always talk about the last episode of Smallville, but what you're, what you're leaving out is he defeated Darkseid. <laughs> like he, he checked all the major boxes of Superman, you know, Henry Cavill hasn't even defeated Darkseid yet. So I don't know. To, to me, if you almost look at it as a John Cryer scene, I thought it was perfect because it was just one of those classic, that is Lex Luthor, that is Superman. And just, uh, it was it was perfect. It was, I I hope Zack Snyder watched it because it was, it was perfect. Okay. Uh, so as a, I don't disagree that as a crier scene, yeah, it does work. I think it serves a, a useful function and it, it moves his story along. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think what's made it even harder for me to accept this scene is the Superman and Lois TV show that you and I have discussed and that we're both big fans of. And, yep. you know, there you see a Lois and Clark on the farm raising a family while he still has his powers. And, you know, that's, of course, the the thrust of that show, right, is balancing that and, um, you know, navigating the secret now that he has, that he had kept from his, from his sons. 
Um, but, you know, we've had that. We've had the Peter Tomasi rebirth run in the comics where he's still Superman and he has a family. And so the idea that it has to be one or the other, I don't know. I just feel like now we've had a couple of like really great recent examples of that not necessarily needing to be the case. Um, so I think that's made it a little bit tougher for me to take. Also, and I've really been thinking about this ethically, I think there's something a little off here. And this is the same problem I had with Superman 2. And Ken and I did like two hours on, on Superman 2, both cuts. And we talked about all of this. But, you know, in Superman 2, he has to give up his powers to, right, to have a relationship with Lois. Now, not to rehash the entire thing, but in the Lester cut, the theatrical cut of Superman 2, uh, he removes his powers and then they sleep together. The implication seems to be like, a, you know, he has to be human in order for that to happen. In the Donner cut, it's flipped. He gives up his powers first and then, or I'm sorry, they sleep together first and then he gives up his powers. And it's, there, it is a great scene between Clark and Jor-El where it's basically like you can't, you can't have both, right? Like you can't fully serve humanity if your heart is with this, with this one woman. Um, and so the issue that I have with that and with this, and I don't, I've been, all day I've been thinking about this. I'm like, how can I art articulate this? I guess I just feel like, I mean, what is the implication here, right? That if he has his powers, they're too great of a responsibility to ignore, right? Yet somehow it's okay if he if he voluntarily relinquishes them. It's like, I feel like ethically that's pretty questionable. I don't see a huge distinction between like, oh, I chose to give up my, to give up my powers versus like I have them, but I don't use them. That's, that's, that's very interesting. I hadn't considered it in that way. Um, I I think what it comes down to, and I know I know I use this analogy a lot, but it, it's it's the Spider-Man analogy of when you have power, you have responsibility that is uh, comparable to that. And Clark, in most cases, has near absolute power. Uh, he can do amazing things that even the other superheroes don't come anywhere close to him. And I think that gives you gives the character rather a warped view of what you have to do so clark can hear everyone clark can stop everything so he does and i think that gives him an inflated idea of what his responsibilities are not that he's not right like one of the things is he can hear everyone and he helps everyone he's not homelander he doesn't hear everyone and delight in their misery like he goes and, and he works 24 hours a day to fix things he gets a good tan and he goes back to work it's he's a great guy um but two, you know, Lois is a brilliant reporter and she's much more practical than the last son of Krypton. And I could almost picture her being like, hey, listen, what what is the deal here? Because you're running out just like uh, Lois in the new show. You're running out all hours of the night and I got two kids here and I'm good, but I'm, I'm not that good. I need a partner. You know, we agreed to do this together. Um, and then him just saying, you know what? There, and again, I, I know I'm filling in canon. I don't. I don't uh, claim to speak for the other creators, but I watched Smallville. There's a lot of other superheroes in that world. There's actually some other Kryptonians. I mean, this is a world where a fully realized Supergirl is also there. So again, I, I'm not saying that the world is at its absolute worst and he sought down the last hunk of gold kryptonite and said, I need to give up my powers because I absolutely have to protect these two girls. I kind of view it more as like, well, the opportunity probably presented itself. And he said, Hey, these things were great. Don't get me wrong. But you know, again, I, I to, to quote the, um, the comic, I, I've had all my great adventures. So let me end this on my term before I 
make someone mad who's going to do something I can't live with, which is, you know, take this family away from me. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know. As I, you know, again, I've been thinking about this and I don't know, maybe if there had been something conveyed in the scene to imply some of the things that we're speculating on, maybe that would have made it a little bit more okay for me. I don't know. But you know, again, with giving up the powers and sort of that ethical question, and I do see a big distinction between this and whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, which I think we're just about ready to jump into. But um, the other thing too, because, you know, I've, I've talked a lot in almost every episode about how, you know, my, my role as a father now has, has really kind of shifted the way I look at a lot of these stories, um, you know, especially these Superman stories. And so someone might be listening or watching and thinking like, hey, like, don't you get that he would want to give up his powers for his girls? I take the opposite approach. He had the ultimate mechanism to protect them. As much as you could argue that, yes, being a superhero, having the powers is going to attract danger. Nevertheless, you know, he, he, he had these immense powers. And I sound like Lex, but it's like, you know, he had the mechanism to protect them. And he, he chose to give that up. I mean, I feel like that puts them in more danger. That, as a dad, is the hard... I can't see that. I, you I know? actually agree with you. Yeah, no, I, I am 100% in agreement with you. If, if it had been me, and yeah, I, I'd absolutely want that ability to protect what was mine. I think the difference is, and, and this is why it's, it's so compelling that it is the Clark of Smallville who we saw go through all, all his formative years is he has had them long enough that he knows the ups and the downs. He does he has very little to compare it to, you know, pretty much it was the X-Men story. As soon as he hit his adolescence, he began to develop these powers that luckily his parents were able to help him with. Um, but he hasn't really had much of a say in the matter. You and I are sitting here being like, Hey, you know, we have families, we would do anything to protect them. These, these abilities would be a great, big help, but we haven't had them for the years of our life. He has, uh, and he chose to use them in the service of others, which put him in the crosshairs. So while I agree with you completely that that's probably not the decision I would have made, again, for that character in that show, in that particular universe where they called it Smallville and not Superman, again, it just, it rings true to me. It just, it, it does. I, I keep running it over in my head and I think, no, I, everything I know about that version of the character, you know, the, the one strung up in the cornfield, the one who couldn't talk to Lana because of the, the meteor rock, the, you know, Pete, all, all of that stuff. That guy, it makes sense to me that he might one day say, I, I can't do this. I, I want what my happiest memories were, which was being raised on this farm in this town by two parents who loved me for, for who I was. And the other thing I'll say very quickly, which I like that they didn't, um, say anything definitive on is we don't know that the girls don't have superpowers, you know, to, to go back to Superman and Lois. I love that at, at least John, if not John, uh, excuse me, at least, uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan, it's Jordan, right? Yeah, yeah. At least Jordan, if not Jordan and John both have powers and the same thing could be here. I mean, again, the, the whole Smallville cast could come back later and you could have two young super women at the helm. Uh, there's a story called uh, Superman's secret identity by Kurt Busiek and Stuart Immerman, which has something similar where there are two young uh, super women who take over after Clark retires. So again, I, I'm all for that narrative if they ever want to bring that back. So in listening to you, and I've really been listening intently, I think that 
I, I think if we had to sort of boil down our difference of opinion here to one thing, I think it sort of comes to this because we both, we've both gotten at it now, uh, you know, in, in a number of instances and we keep coming back to the same thing. I think, you know, I, I guess I don't disagree when you point to the Clark in the cornfield and the Clark at various points in the show and say that this is a perfectly fitting end for him. I guess I keep going back to, you know, there's that scene um, in the in the series finale in part one where he has his final, well, before we, I mean, at, at the part two, right, we have the moment with Jonathan in the fortress, but the last real bit of guidance from ghost Jonathan in the barn. And, you know, Clark's talking about, you know, not, not knowing if he has what it takes to defeat Darkseid. And he's like, I'm scared. I need your help. And Jonathan's like, or he says, you know, Darkseid defeated me before. And Jonathan says, but he never saw the man standing before me now. And I guess I keep coming back to that idea. I feel like he evolved. And so I don't necessarily see this as as fitting an end. I do think, as I said before, if you plucked him from like any other point in the in the journey, this would. And so I guess uh, I guess that's ultimately where, you know, where where we do differ on that. Um you know, but you yeah. wouldn't have been infuriated if if they had visited Clark when he was Superman and he just, you know, Cryer would have killed him. Like, like that that's the thing that kills me too, is like, you know, they they ended a lot of the DC continuity in that show. And I was kind of happy too that, you know, if if they had shown up and Clark had opened his shirt and he was wearing a Superman costume where he just knew that he was Superman, Cryer would have killed him. And then, you know, Erica Durant would have come out and been like, what, what the hell did you do to my husband? And it's like, well, he's Superman. He's my mortal enemy. He had to die. And she would have been like, who the heck are you? I know Lex. Lex doesn't even look like you. And then that would have been it. And then who knows if, if Tom Elling would have ever come back. But part of me was like, oh yeah, all right. You know what? You, you you beat him you know poor brandon ruth superman went through the you know one of the worst uh ringers you could possibly put the character through and and you know heckland th thankfully came back to get his own show but it's like i don't know i kind of like the idea that our superman defeated this guy for lack of a better term and got to continue living on his life he didn't have to put his family through that horrible tragedy now again in a, in a different world where the characters were a little bit more excuse me the actors were a little bit more comfortable with this and maybe tom welling superman could have been a paragon again sign me up I, i'm not saying that this was the only way you could have done this but with what they had to work with it's a great use of four minutes i, I don't know how else to say it it's like yeah you cry you know criers Lex Luthor is sent away disgusted with this character who defeated him by remaining true to who he's always been and would have been great to see him suit up as Superman and, and defeat the bad guy. Yeah, but seeing that as a cameo on another show would have almost been disingenuous because in 10 seasons of his show, I never really saw that, you know? Yeah, no, and like I keep saying, it's like I I didn't expect and I didn't want him to suit up as, like I, that, it's not like I want that. To be honest, it's like, I, I mean, yes, if the scene had to be Lex showing up trying to kill him, it's like, sure, yeah, this worked. I guess I'm saying, like, they could have just taken it, like, if they had four minutes with Tom Welling, they could have done something else, you know? And even if it had been Cryer, he wouldn't have killed him. He was, Clark would have found a way. He always finds a way. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, but, uh, you know, all in all, it, it's funny because you know and listeners know you know, I, I've gone to bat for the Snyder movies, and I know people, you know, feel very strongly both ways about that, but there are definitely plenty of detractors, and, you know, I've defended that, and I've defended, and you and I have talked about this off mic too, but I've defended this idea that, you know, 
these characters, and Superman in particular, over 80 years he's been around, there are different ways to interpret the character, and you have to be open to different interpretations. So, you know, people might be listening and being like, hey, take your own advice, buddy. I think where it's hard for me is that it's one thing when we're talking about setting up a new incarnation of the character. I think there's flexibility there. Where I hit a wall here was that the Clark they gave me in that four-minute scene didn't jive with the Clark they I feel they left us with at the end of Smallville. That's where... I have a harder time. It's like, you create a new show. They just announced a new uh, cartoon for HBO Max. I don't know exactly what that'll be like. You know, it may be, it might not be exactly the vision I have in my head, but, you know, it's its own project. It can be whatever it needs to be. Um, whereas for this, I guess there was, I had I had more specific expectations based on my fandom of the show. I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, I, I've said this to other people and I, I, I don't know, do I want to go on record as saying this? Do I, did it bother me that much that I wish he hadn't appeared? Yes. I'll be honest. I, wow. I, I feel that okay. strongly about it. And I know I feel that strongly about it, that I, those four minutes, like seeing him chopping wood for four minutes and punching Lex, it wasn't worth what I feel undermined the Smallville journey. It just, you know, it's like, He's been doing all. He's been doing Rosenbaum's podcast a bunch of times. He's been doing all these convention appearances. I'm happy to just. I'm happy to watch Tom Welling do that and talk about the show. That would have been enough for me. I didn't really need to see him on the farm again for that. So, again, I don't begrudge you or anyone who enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Ah, from the bottom of my heart, I'm glad you enjoyed it. As a fellow Smallville fan, I know what it's like to not like it. So like, I'm so glad you did. I just wish I did and. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and I don't I don't say that to be hyperbolic, but I, yeah, I mean, if if I had the choice, and that could have just not been part of it, or they had said it was not the Smallville like from the show, like it was a like a, an alternate version of Smallville, like all right, yeah. Well, I I think that's your out too. You know, one of the reasons that I mentioned the one sixty seven thing when we started out is, you know, the great thing about crisis is a story, uh, whether it's on the show or in the comics or whatever else, it's, it's about taking what doesn't work off the board so you can retell stories in a way that's going to connect with a new audience. And, you know, the Smallville that we knew could be earth one. And, and this could be a variation of it, a variation that doesn't even exist anymore. You know, the best thing about the multiverse is that there are infinite possibilities. So the, 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 there's one where uh, the version that you wanted, uh, the version of the character that you wanted does exist and does, you know, exactly what you were hoping that he did. Uh, and then this was what they could work with because they wanted people to show up. I, I mean, you know, they were able to get Burt Ward and they were able to get the woman who played Huntress and uh, they were able to get all these characters. But again, you know, how much can you really do, especially considering you have five shows worth of casts or six or, or whatever it was that you have to give screen time to. So, you know, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. I mean, you, you, you absolutely love the show and, um, but yeah, I mean, I think you can file this away in your head that like, you know, maybe this was just a, a, another version of Clark in the multiverse and it doesn't necessarily have to be the same one that uh, we watched. Oh man, I thought you were going to give me the segue though and say it was just another imaginary story. <laughs> okay, so. Well, they're all imaginary stories. That's that's the key is they're, every single one is an imaginary story. So, so it took us an hour, but we we're getting to the comic book story now. One thing that I believe you said to me via text after we watched Crisis and that others mentioned to me too, because uh, you know, I posted about this on Facebook and, and sort of the, 
The response that I, I, I got a few times was like, hey, why didn't you like it? It was the whatever happened to the man of tomorrow ending. So let me say this. Whatever happened to the man of tomorrow is one of my favorite Superman stories reaffirmed by my reread last night. And I think for that version, for that incarnation of the character at that point in the mythology, it is a perfect finale. I just don't think that it's the ending for Superman in every instance. And I didn't feel like it was the proper conclusion there, but uh, let me hold them up. So uh, this is Superman 423 and action uh, 483. And, you know, I reread these last night. This is the first time I read them in their original form. I didn't read it digitally. I didn't read it in a trade paperback. I had tracked down these issues at New York Comic Con the last time I went a few years ago with our mutual friend, Steve Odo. And we went to the retailer breakfast and then I hit the floor and I hunted and I got these. And uh, it was my little back issue hunt for the day. And it was really cool to, you know, find, you know, another little, another little way to experience it for anyone not familiar. And again, you know, there aren't a lot of stories I put in this category, but it's like, if you're a Superman fan and you haven't read whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, I urge you, I implore you to read. It's only two issues. Uh, again, if for context, if anyone's not familiar uh, it's a two-part story uh, written by Alan Moore, drawn by legendary uh, Superman artist Kurt Swan, and it came out at the end of the pre-crisis era, right before John Byrne rebooted Superman. And outgoing editor Julius Schwartz decided to treat his last issue of Action and his last issue of Superman as if they were the last issues of those titles that DC was ever going to publish Alan Moore wrote the story, and it's a farewell to the pre-crisis version of the character, and primarily that Silver Age version, I think, is really the, the incarnation that we're bidding farewell to. And again, it's only a two-part story, but basically everything that you, I, I, you know, and it's what's, here's, I think, the best compliment that I can pay this story, which is, you know, it came out in 1986, a year before I was born. I read it in the late 90s. Um... You know, I was, I was like 10 when I read the trade paperback that DC put out at that time. I had no idea what pre-crisis was. I, I wasn't on any internet. I was a little kid. I wasn't talking to people at a comic shop. I wasn't reading Wizard yet. I didn't know what it was. The only context I had was Paul Kupperberg's introduction to the trade paperback, which is great, actually, and it explained everything that I needed it to. But I think the biggest compliment I can pay this story is that I don't have a deep connection to or affinity for the pre-crisis version of the character. I look at that incarnation of Superman more from an academic point of view. I'm curious, but I don't have that, that deep personal connection as I do with the post-crisis version that I grew up reading. Yet, then and now, it's one of my favorite stories. I love it to death. And I, I mean, that's a testament to the power of the story that even though, again, I don't have that, that personal connection to it necessarily, it just works exceedingly well as its own story. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I, I I had never read a pre-crisis Superman story before. I read uh, these two issues, and uh, they land. I mean, Alan Moore is great because every story he tells, I feel like you can read it on its own, and you don't have to worry about anything else. I mean, he just he understands that he wants you to be able to pick this up, get what you need to, and move on. Um, you know, he condenses 
close to 50 years worth of continuity into those two issues and it never feels rushed and it never feels uh, forced, at least for me. Um, I'm sure there are, there are other fans who are like, what the heck is going on here? Um, but I, I think I think it's a great comic. And, I, and again, I can't believe how brief it is. It, it is the it is the days of future past of, of the Superman. It is two issues. It gets you in, it gets you out, and everything has changed. Nothing is the same when, when you get to the end. Um, so yeah, I, I really don't have a bad thing to say about it. It holds up. I mean, I've lost count of how many times I've read it, but you know, it's funny. So over the years, people have asked, you know, do, do I have any interest in writing a comic? And um, I say that as if it's like DC Comics asking me. No, but like just people in my personal life. And I've always said, not really, but I probably have a Superman story in me. And you know what's funny? It's like now over the course of doing this podcast, I have like a couple of ideas and like they're really crystallizing. And I'm probably getting to the point sooner rather than later where I'll probably try writing it. I don't think anything will come of it, but I'll probably do it. Um, but, you know, as I was rereading this, I had the same thought you did. It's like, it's only two issues. It goes so fast. There are so many moments that, you know, I always, <laughs> I always forget about Pete Ross dead in the box. Every time I read yeah. this story, it like, it takes, I'm like, oh God, they put like the prankster and toy man kill Pete Ross. They interrogate him. They discover Superman's secret identity. They kill him and they stuff him in a box. They mail him to Clark. I always forget about that. Like there's so much that happens and there are so many things like, like, you know, like the aftermath of the unmasking and and Pete's death that it's like, oh man, you wish you could have, you know, like spent a little bit more time in that in that area. It's such a, oh, it's such a rich story. I thought of you though. Um, did it re- did it remind you of it? Like so, like the the basic setup of this, right? And again, for anyone who's not familiar, um, but we you know we start ten years into the future. Superman's been gone, presumed dead. A reporter for the Daily Planet shows up at the quiet Midwestern home of Lois Elliot. Now, no longer Lois Lane. Uh, her baby is down for a nap. Her husband's out at work. Uh, and he proceeds to interview her about the final days of Superman. And so she explains how. Um, in his final years, things had gotten real quiet, right? Most of the enemies had been defeated or retired or were laying low. And Superman was mostly spending his time doing research in space for the government. Then um, we have the sequence of events where, you know, really all the, the main players from the rogues gallery return and return with the vengeance. They start acting, you know, kind of out of character more ruthlessly than they had before, uh, beginning with Bizarro, who who off panel had just had killed destroyed bizarro world and gone on a murder spree and caused all this damage in in metropolis before he kills himself because of course the only way he could be the perfect imperfect duplicate of superman if superman is alive is for bizarro to be dead it did it remind you at all of hush batman hush Hush, no. Because, no, that's a comparison I've never thought of before. Now, look, I'm not saying that Hush is, is <laughs> It's in the same league as this story, but it, just this idea of villains um, sort of acting in, uh, you know, in an unusual manner, in a more cutthroat manner than they had before. I, I can't help but wonder if maybe Loeb had taken a little inspiration from whatever happened to the man. After, I just couldn't, I, you know, I, I thought about that as I was reading this, just this idea of, again, like villains kind of coming back, coming back with a vengeance uh, with someone pulling the strings. No, you, you, you definitely have something there because you're, you're right. You know, the structure of Hush, uh, which takes place over 12 issues uh, as opposed to the, the very uh, condensed two that we have here, 
is every villain of uh, of Batman's coming back in some way, and then the the the, the big new bad or uh, newly revealed bad being in charge later on? So, yeah, it, it, it's certainly something. I, I I think the key difference, and why I never made the connection before, is um, so we, we could talk about the end of the book, right? The big kind of so the big reveal. Um, and again, this is a major spoiler. So if you have not read these two issues and you are going to, please stop listening to us. Go read them and, and come back. But the big reveal is that the big villain is Mix, Mr. Mixius Pitleg, who as a fifth dimensional imp has decided that being mischievous uh, has gotten a little boring and mundane, and he's now going to be malicious for at least the next two millennia. Um, I took that to be Alan Moore's kind of meta-commentary, his mission statement on the industry as a whole. Because for those of you who don't know, up until that point, you know, the the, the big shake-up at this point is that most of the heroes, most, excuse me, most of the villains didn't kill. They didn't do anything. But after this point, after Crisis, after whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, after um, the the Dark Knight Returns, which is mentioned in, in Kupperberg's introduction, after all of these stories that came out in the mid-80s, things went in a drastically different direction. Um, you know, I started reading comics in 1991, and all I remember is Venom and Spawn. And I love those characters, don't get me wrong, but they would be completely out of place in Silver Age Superman. So one of the things that I really liked about this was that it had... Uh, it had themes that continued into other work, even if Moore didn't necessarily intend for that. The the Hush comparison is rough, though, because Hush has a big surprise ending, and then nothing is ever done with that ever again. <laughs> like, like, Hush is almost forgotten afterwards, even though it was a major story. It was like one of the first times Jim Lee drew Batman. So that, that's very interesting. But yeah, I think you can compare and contrast the two works and in, in the effect they had on things going forward. Yeah, no, well said. Uh, so, you know, over the course of the story, again, we have Bizarro's Rampage. Uh, we have Prankster and Toyman, uh, again, killing Pete Ross, uh, revealing Superman's secret identity. I mean, this this secret that he's kept, you know, uh, across almost 50 years at this point, you know, finally comes to a head. He's unmasked. He has to retire the Clark Kent uh, persona. Uh, an army of Metallos attack the Daily Planet. And it's at that point that, you know, Superman decides to move those closest to him, like the core supporting cast, Lois, Lana, Perry, Jimmy, uh, Perry's wife, to the fortress for this last stand against uh, uh, Brainiac, who's controlling Luther's body. Uh, the Legion of Supervillains uh, will join as well, Kryptonite Man. And... You know, it's it's at the fortress that we have uh, such emotionally resonant scenes. I, you know, when when Crypto shows up, and right before the Legion arrives, I think that's the point. Um, yeah. You know, Superman says he's like, I feel like all the pieces of my life are finally coming together. He's like, I know, like dogs sometimes have that sense, but you know, when they know that, and he gets cut off. But I think he was going to say like when they know the they're nearing the end here. But this idea of like all the pieces coming together and. Um, you know, the, the Legion show up to, to pay their last respects, uh, you know, and of course he sees, uh, you know, Kara time traveling, you know, she's dead in the, the current timeline. Uh, so, you know, that definitely packs an emotional punch. But, you know, the last page of that first issue of him crying, uh, you know, alone with the dog in the fortress, um, you know, that that definitely packed a punch. And then in the next issue, that heart to heart with Perry. Man, do I love that he went to Perry for that. That was such a great scene, and I love that that Perry was able to to you know serve that role for him in that moment. What do you think? Yeah, I I love that too. I, I also love that they didn't 
dwell too long on all these characters being like, Clark is Superman? Like, when he goes to speak to Perry, you know, Perry is just like, well, I've known you in both identities for a very long time, so I'm going to speak to you that way. Like, they don't dwell on it. They don't say, well, for so long, I suspected X, Y, and Z. Um, so I love that Perry gets to stand in, and essentially for, for John, who post-crisis would stick around and would become a major character to the mythos that you and I knew. But at that point, you know, both his parents had passed away. Um, yeah, I, that crypto scene is is heartbreaking because the the poor dog passes away to save his master and and he does it without hesitation right it's just like i have to protect this man as i always have i don't know the rules have changed i don't know i'm not coming back from that i i love dogs and that scene still gets me all these years later yeah that was rough that was rough for sure um you know throughout the story i think you know and i feel like it's only the type of story that you could do at the culmination of you know Maybe you maybe you could doesn't need to be five decades worth, but you know it's like it's one of those stories like it packs so much weight because you feel the history behind it. And again, even as a kid reading it without having all that backstory, it's like you recognize there, you know, there's such an air of finality to it. You recognize that things are coming to a head, right? All of the things again, you know, including the you know the unmasking and uh, you know again all of these all of these villains and and you know most a lot of the, I say most of the characters meet their final fate you know in this in this story not a ton of them make it out alive and so you know you have the weight of all of that and you know a rare instance where Superman is really facing his mortality he's facing the end he knows that this very likely is going to be his last stand and, you know, that scene with Perry in particular where he's like, you know, there's so much in my life I need to get straight. You know, first and foremost, Lois and Lana, these two women who he's basically been stringing along all this time. And, you know, the man with the power of a god. And he's, you know, he's he's like, I, you know, I wish I had explained to them. I wish I hadn't been such a coward. Uh, you know, a character so brave and strong. But, but you know, when it comes to matters of the heart, you know, there's still that, you know, that, that, that weakness or that vulnerability. Uh, so I thought that was that was so powerful and, and all the more so by the fact that, you know, Lana and Jimmy were, uh, you know, uh, giving themselves powers so that they could help. And of course, Lana overhears, you know, Superman tell Perry that, you know, as much as he loved Lana when they were young, uh, that Lois is the one for him. And it's it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, Moore gives you that beautiful moment of uh, real vulnerability with Superman uh, talking about how he has always felt about the people in his life. And, and, you know, it's Alan Moore, right? So it just immediately, immediately gets turned on his head. And again, I, I like to write all of that malice off, off to the imp, but yeah, that scene where Lana talks about developing the hyper senses as she, she goes through her super powered MacGuffin pool and how the two scenes interact so that her super hearing kicks in just as Clark is saying this very calmly and very quietly to Perry who happens to be sitting next to him brooms away is beautiful because it's not a thing that either character could have foreseen but it is such an immediate impact of Lana Long this uh, excuse me Lana Lang this very like well-known uh, well-respected character just immediately going out in a blaze of glory after something super Superman said of all things like it's shocking but it also feels very honest for for the way the character was set up a hundred percent and and you know Jimmy too you know he has that moment where he says you know they always call me Superman's friend and it's time I paid for that privilege I mean he really steps up and and pays the ultimate price uh you know as, as does Lana so 
uh, yeah, I mean, it, it. it's such a powerful story. And then, you know, it culminates, you know, we're talking about final Superman stories here. So, you know, as much as the Luther Brainiac team and the Legion of Supervillains and Kryptonite Man, they're all defeated. Uh, we do have, as you said, the, the final reveal that Mixius Pitalik was pulling the strings and now he's going to be malicious. And, you know, Superman makes the decision to uh, use the Phantom Zone projector on Mixie, right, knowing that Mixie will try to retreat to his home dimension and that he will be torn into and killed and destroyed, you know, being split between the Phantom Zone and the Fifth Dimension. And it was a nice touch, though, that, you know, the Legion's gift to Superman, right, ended up being his salvation because it was that reminder yeah. of like, oh, I'll use the Phantom Zone projector. You know, but he says to Lois, he's like, I killed him. I, I knew this would happen. I, I broke my most sacred oath. And it's at that point, right, that he walks into the gold kryptonite chamber, stripping himself of his powers forever, seemingly then wandering off into the Arctic to die. But of course, we have our twist ending there, uh, our very happy ending that uh, he is now living as a, as a normal man named Jordan Elliott with Lois and that they have a son named Jonathan who uh, we see crush diamond into coal or coal into diamond uh, just as the story is ending. And uh, Jordan, AKA Clark is winking to the audience. Uh, it's again, I feel like for that version of the character, it made perfect sense. And the idea that I, I guess, you know, what, what worked for me here about him, you know, giving up his powers and living a normal life, right. Was that, it was, and again, I know we talked about with Smallville, you can fill in the blanks, but it's like here we saw everything. We saw that all of his enemies were defeated. His sort of his quest was over at that point. And he had crossed a line for himself. It's like it wasn't that he was giving up his powers because he wanted to marry Lois and have a family. It was that he really couldn't be like his journey as Superman had come to an end. And then he had this happy postscript. And that, to me, I thought it was so beautiful, so powerful. And I I love it as an ending for that version of the character. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it having ended any other way. Uh, just because you, you get to check all the boxes, but you also get these stories you never thought you were going to get. Like, it's such a sharp shift from the way the narrative was going up to that point with the the Silver Age, you know, the big the big imagination, the, the, the constantly doing crazy over-the-top stuff month in and month out, but not letting anyone really change. Like, you know, he never married Lois in the comics up until that point. Like, he wasn't allowed to change until Crisis, until this story came out and then everything goes in a different direction but wow you get the you get conclusion of so many long ongoing plots and then it's really just in service to the idea of well we want to give the man who's helped the world so many times his happy ending what is that well it's to be married to lois okay but how is he going to figure that out well we have to put him in a situation where he can check all those boxes so that he can uh end up in that situation so for me i almost wonder if if alan moore worked backwards right he said well, well this is it there's there's a period at the end of that sentence there's not going to be any stories featuring this version of Superman. Um, I know where I want him to end up. How do I get there? And what is the most what is the most elegant way of doing that? The uh, the thing I love most after that Lana scene is the uh, Jordan Elliott, the, the the new persona, the new Clark Kent. When he comes home, the first thing he does is 
dash Superman. And he just, he walks through the door and he's like, man, I, I had a long day. I think he works as an auto mechanic or something. Yeah. And he's like, oh, hey, yeah, you're talking about the ex, right? Yeah, that guy was nothing. Who, who cares about that guy? And he goes in the kitchen. He makes himself a cup of coffee. He picks up the kid and he moves on with his life. And then at the end, Lois is like, weren't you a little hard on yourself? Like, we're pretty good at covering our tracks. And you quickly realize that Superman does not care about covering his tracks. He really is happy now. He's really moved from being Superman, the man of tomorrow, to being Jordan Elliott, to being again this... I don't want to say mundane because it makes it seem like I'm insulting him, but I'm not. Like, again, like all those adventures happen. He did the most amazing thing that an entire generation, two generations of creators could think to put him through. He did all of that. And now he's come to the point where he's like, I'm tired and I think I've done my part and I, I, I want this and I've always wanted this and I think it's time. And it's unfortunate that he does have to break his oath. But again, the result is Jordan Elliott's got a smile on his face 24-7. And I also love, you know, you mentioned when he comes home from uh, working at the body shop. I love the work and work and Joe shtick that uh, that he does there. It's not glasses, but he, there is still that element of of disguise yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, and you know, again, we mentioned the Superman and Lois TV show. I love the uh, the nod to you know one of the sons, of course, is named Jordan, um, which is cool. And of course, you know, Jordan Elliot, Jor El. Um, so that's cool. You know, and I think I know, I know the answer to this, but. Do you feel that the Smallville crisis scene was more, I don't even want to say palatable. You enjoyed it. It was more enjoyable for you because you had read the season 11 comic and you got to see all of those adventures that he had. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I mentioned season 11 early on. Cause I, I said, you know, my, a big part of why I liked that scene so much was because I had no problem imagining an entire mythology uh, having taken place between when we see uh, uh, Tom Welling at the end of Smallville, where he goes off in, in his CGI costume or whatever and, be, and becomes a hero, and now where he's he's retired and happy. I, I had no problem imagining that, in part because in Smallville season 11, I, I see him not only meet all the characters that we were introduced to during the show, but the, the gloves are off. He meets Batman, he meets Wonder Woman, he meets the Green Lantern, he meets all of the more traditionally super-powered allies that he has in the comics. So, yeah, I think that was a big part of it too, where I was just able to say, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's already done all the cool stuff. And if this is where he wants to end up, I, I don't think it's difficult to begrudge him. But that is a good point that you make here in the comic where it's like, well, you actually did see all of those adventures. So it's easy for you to say, well, okay, wait a second. We know he's done all these amazing things and we're watching him kind of uh, put a bow on it as far as the dangerous rogues go. So yeah, why not give him a, why not give him a happy ending? So yeah, that, that is a good distinction. You know, it's funny. I might, I mean, I do plan to cover at least some of the season 11 comic on this podcast in the future. Who knows? Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode to this where I'm like, oh my God, I read season 11 and now I love that crisis scene. I doubt it, but you never know. Yeah. And because, you know, there, I think there is something to that. I definitely, I know that part of my frustration was, you know, and I, again, I've ranted about the CGI costume and all that stuff in the in the Smallville finale. And so it's like, you know, we got to see him fulfill his destiny, but it was it was executed and rendered in a way that was a, a little lacking. And so to go from that to I've given up my powers and <laughs> live a normal life on the farm, it was just, again, I think that added to the disappointment that I felt. And so, yeah, maybe reading the comic would, would kind of turn me around on it a little bit. I'm open to trying it. I, I do try to keep an open mind with this. I, 
look, when I rewatched the scene, I was, you know, I rewatched it with an open mind. I didn't hate watch it. And again, I, there are things that I liked about it. It's just philosophically, I just really have a big picture objection to it. But the comic, man, it's, uh, it's amazing to me that it's never been adapted. Oh yeah, that's, that's well. I guess other. I mean, I, you could argue that the crisis scene was, but, <laughs> but I mean, like a like a true adaptation of it. You know? No, I'm I'm with you a hundred percent. When when uh, DC was making their line of animated movies, uh, I guess direct DVD, direct streaming, whatever you want to call it, I was always surprised that that wasn't one of the stories that they picked because it's it's pretty self-contained. And actually, in 90 minutes, you could hit all of the, the high points. And um, I think I have an answer to that now, though. Um, my favorite Superman story is Red Sun, and they did an adaptation of Red Sun, and they, they changed it significantly. And and I'm kind of almost happy that now, seeing if that that was the way they were going to go with that book, that they didn't do this adaptation yet, because I don't know that they're there quality wise. Um, yeah. What would be what would be cool is if, uh, and I know this is very unlikely, but who knows if Alan Moore came in and said, you know, would you like me to adapt this story for an animated film or even a live action film or something like that? Um, which is you know, which is not unheard of. Uh, something similar was done with the New Frontier and the Under the Red Hood movies. So you know, you have to keep hope alive. But um, yeah, I, I feel like. <sighs> If you did it, you'd have to commit, right? You, you, you'd have to, you, you couldn't do a 15 minute prelude where you set up all these characters. You just, you have to be comfortable not knowing. Like, hey, Superman has a very deep, well, relatively deep bench when it comes to supervillains. They're all here. It's everyone's act three. Just roll with it. And I feel like a lot of times people aren't comfortable doing that. But again, we live in an age where all the shorthand for superheroes is, is something everyone's familiar with. So who knows? Maybe, um, you know, once the, the content wars really heat up, we'll get a nice adaptation of the work. But yeah, as far as I, as far as I can think of, it's never been in anything. I love, I love your optimism uh, at, at this notion that Alan Moore <laughs> famously opposes adaptations of his work would in any way endorse let alone participate but I, I i you know yeah that would be amazing uh you know i mean obviously the justice league cartoon did you know for the man who has everything you know another more yeah. story which we'll talk about on the podcast in the future yeah. but i had the same thought you did i really i was thinking like uh, an animated adaptation and for the same reason because it's a short enough story like you said where it would fit within the typical runtime that they adhere to yet they're there are pockets that you could expand on to flesh things out a little bit. You know, it doesn't need to be like a, a direct, you know, translation. So I feel like there's a little room there. You know, the other thing when I was talking about like ideas for Superman stories, you know, we, we recently covered the post-crisis origin stories and we talked about Burns Man of Steel and then Loeb and Sales uh, for All Seasons. What's so cool about For All Seasons is that, and I, I, I really was dialed into this, reading the stories back to back, that it really fits within the pages of Man of Steel. You know, it, it's its own story, it's its own thing, but it you can read the two of them together and they're a nice, you know, they, they complement each other nicely. Um, you know, I, and this might sound like sacrilege, but like whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, if there were almost like a four all seasons esque, something like that, that would sort of, uh, even as I'm saying this, I'm like, this would never fly. And, 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 <laughs> may, and maybe this would be too much, but I just feel like there, there 
I don't know, there are some emotional beats that if you had some more time, you know, to really dig into, uh, there could be something there. But again, I don't really foresee that happening. Yeah, again, I mean, definitely if you're not familiar with all of these characters too, I, I mean, uh, you know, if you're if you're reading it for the first time like you and I were and you're like, wait, wait, what, what's the deal with Lana? I'm not 100% sure. Who's the guy in the box? Or wait, what's the prankster? Like you, you definitely could find places to expand it in a very organic way. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that was the intent at the the original time because it was like, you probably know who these people are and we need to wrap this up as soon as possible. Um, I was always a little upset that they didn't do something similar before uh, the New 52 where they where our version of Superman essentially was wrapped up. Um, now he, I think, has returned <laughs> uh, in the Rebirth era, so maybe maybe it's good that they didn't do that. But I was always like, you know what? Why, why, not, why not our version of Superman? Why not give him a nice uh, 60 page annual or something where you you wrap up all those plot lines he pats the eradicator on the back you know the real 90s 2000s stuff and and then he moves on but uh but yeah who who knows it's such a popular story i can't imagine it's not going to be adapted one day yeah i think at some point we will and i i couldn't agree with you more i've said this on other podcasts i really think that was you know as, as someone who was reading a lot of dc stuff at the time um that was definitely one of the most challenging parts about the new 52 was that we didn't get whatever happened to the man of tomorrow esque uh, finales to that version, to those versions of the character. I, and I really think that, I mean, ultimately, you know, the new 52 sold really well. I, overall, I think it was a success for DC. So it's like, I don't know that they would have done it differently, but for me, as someone who really did not delve into the new 52 and even to this day, I've only read a little bit of it. Uh, that would have that would have gone a long way, you know, to to sort of having that. And it's like the thing that always drives me nuts is like, man, what an opportunity this could have been. You think of a, like whatever happened to the Emerald Archer and the Emerald Knight and the Scarlet Speedster. It's like they go on and on. Like there's so much potential there. Um, and I have to imagine, uh, you know, and we, you and I have talked to our friend Rich Roney, uh, who did read, did grow up reading the Silver Age comics. I have to imagine, like if if you were a fa- like. You know, the story landed in such a powerful way for us. It's like, imagine what it was like to have been a reader during that era and to finally get these two issues, like all this stuff that had always been teased uh, or maybe it happened and then it was, you know, it, it was quickly taken back. It's like it all happened and it played out and you got an actual conclusion to the story. Um, yeah, it must have been so cool. Yeah, I, I can't imagine picking these things up off, off the rack as it were because, I mean everyone is consistent with the way they they were up until that point. Like Alan Moore, it's, it's not like he came out of nowhere. This might be the first issue of Superman he wrote. I'm not 100% sure, but he's certainly a fan of, of the characters. And, and the Silver Age in particular, after this, he would go on to write uh, a book, Supreme, which would feature a Silver Age version of Superman and his cast of characters that expands on a lot of the themes he introduces in these two issues. So he, he was a fan for whatever that's worth. So when he is closing out these storylines, he's doing it in a way that attempts to be incredibly reverent to the material that came before. But yeah, I have to imagine, I mean, the, the arguments you and I were witness to at the comic book store, it's like, what was going on when these two hit the stands, you know? And they were very close together. It's like, was there a flood of angry letters of like, what are you doing? You can't, he can't murder, no one can murder. Like, why would you do that? Or was everyone just like, oh man, you know, those John Byrne issues are on their way. We just sat through crisis. Like, these don't matter anyway. You know, you, you could look at it that way. Obviously, 
imaginary story is the branding that predated what if and else worlds and everything else so that that was also part of the the canon part of the lexicon at the time like hey this is an imaginary story just like all those other times we showed what would happen in the future where superman and lois had a bunch of kids it's just this one's going to be a little bit more nuanced so Right. Yeah. I mean, the famous introduction, this is an imaginary story, aren't they all? And, you know, by the, you know, once this was done and we, you know, we entered post-crisis, it's like everything that came before basically was an imaginary story. Uh, you know, for my book club podcast, I, I, my sign off on that show is, you know, they're all imaginary stories. You know, it's something that's, yeah. you know, that's always stuck with me and maybe advice that I should take myself as I think about that, that crisis scene. <laughs> but you know what, you know, I was, I wanted to, to just mention this and then and then we'll we'll sign off here but um you know i was thinking about doing you know uh, i guess a deeper dive on this podcast into like final superman stories they're not a ton i mean unless i'm really missing a lot and i know there are some silver age imaginary stories like the last days of superman and there was a silver age death of superman and we'll, we'll talk about that but you know as far as like you know, stories intended to like conclude the, 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 the tale, there's not a ton. And it's funny too, even in other media, like, you know, the Chris Nolan Batman trilogy, we got a conclusion to that. You look at Superman in other media, you know, the Christopher Reeve series, you know, sadly, you know, petered out. The Brandon Routh, you know, uh, attempt to get it going again failed. Uh, the Snyder verse, sadly for me, uh, it seems like we've seen the end, the last of that without like a, a true finish. Lois and Clark, the TV show, got canceled after the fourth season. Smallville, yes, ended, but it ended with a beginning. You're, you know, right? So yeah. it's like we haven't had, you know, again, in other media. And then in comics, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about Grant Morrison's work. And Grant Morrison obviously gave us... Uh, a look very far into the future of of the character. Oh, right? yeah, there's right, some right, really right. interesting stuff to talk about there. Um, and and you know whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? You know Kingdom Come. Obviously, I think you know kind of falls into that category. Although that they've continued to do like he, he oh, yes and no uh, yeah yeah. I mean exactly. I, it's not like a definitive ending. So it's it's interesting. Maybe part of it is that this story, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, was so strong. It's like if you want a final story, like that's it. I mean I don't know. What do you think? I, that's a great observation. Um, you know, Batman has many endings, right? I mean, The Dark Knight Returns is a definitive comic, and even though it doesn't end the story of Batman, it, it is his act three in, in traditional storytelling structure. But yeah, you really don't have that with Superman. The character just continues on. I've always attributed that to the fact that Superman is not driven by pain. He's not trying to overcome something. Like, yes, his, his father did die in many iterations of the story, but again, it's not like it's not like he caused the heart attack because he did something wrong or he overreacted or he didn't control his abilities. It was just like, you know, I, I, I couldn't do this. Maybe there was nothing I could have done, but I feel bad about it. So his story continuing is always the story of him inspiring other people and continuing to help where he can. Um, yeah, it's actually interesting you bring up the the, the Morrison one because it's it's literally like not only is there no final story for Superman as a concept, but this version of Clark Kent is going to continue 
forever. <laughs> like we're, we're giving him special dispensation. He's so important to us that Morrison is just like, no, you know what? You, you continue until the heat death of the universe. So yeah, uh, off the top of my head, I really can't think of any, I'm sure, again, I'm sure there are many out there that we're missing, but yeah, there's no, there's nothing that jumps to mind that if like Zack Snyder was told like, Hey, listen, we're going to give you one more movie, but you need, you need to end this. I don't know. I don't know what he would pull from. Yeah, it's it is very interesting. Uh, the one thing though that I that I do really like is you know even the Smallville crisis scene. As much as I had issues with it, but that uh, Morrison's uh, approach, which again we'll talk about in the future, this that he's with Lois, and I think regardless of what form that takes, uh, that I think is a key part of it. I will say though, going back to uh, again the previous episode of this podcast where uh, Ken and I talked about our top ten favorite Smallville moments, one of his was. The moment, and I think it was a season one episode where, you know, the freak of the week had the ability to see the future, to see the the future of the person he touches. And when he touches Clark, we just see the cape in the clouds. And he tells Clark, you have no end. And I thought that was so great until the crisis scene where clearly that turned out to not be the case. <laughs> Well, but, uh, I yeah. mean, again, you know, any anything can happen. I mean, again, if if they were to start a uh, a Smallville show, it's very easy for him. You know, his powers were taken away. You can give them back. You know, it's it's been done before. Um, very famously, when Clark and Lois got married in 1996, uh, he lost his power so that he could have his honeymoon. Uh, to read into that what you will, but he got them back, and and he was able to go off and do a bunch of bunch of nonsense. But you know, the the best thing about these stories is that they're, you know, they, everything can change and everything can go in any direction uh, as long as the imagination is there. And Superman is, is the most imaginative franchise. So again, I think if they wanted to do more stories featuring those, if Tom Welling was like, hey, you know what? I'm young enough. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's come back. I, I think he had his powers and I think he could be, you know, Superman, Superman a turtle. Why not? Certainly if, if he's raising those girls, let's, uh, you know, let's have that story. You know, I mean, I feel like with Superman and Lois, we're basically getting that in its own way. It's yeah. so funny. I don't know. You probably saw the story recently. Uh, Welling gave an interview where he said he would be interested in playing Superman to Rob Pattinson's Batman. And it's like, oh. look, I love Tom Welling, but it's like, yeah, get out of here. You know, it's like you had the opportunity. <laughs> it's like, for, I, will, I, I mean, honestly, when he says he would play Superman, he probably means he would wear flannel and chop wood in a field. He's like, well, that's Superman, right? But but yeah. it's like, even if he were willing to wear the costume, it's like, look, you had a 10-year show. You had an encore. Yeah. No, that's it. It's like, you didn't do it then. I, I don't want to see it now, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but I also don't think he have any intention of doing that. That's crazy. I I, I, I didn't. No, he said that, but uh, that's funny because I, my, my understanding of, of the Pattinson Batman film is that it's going to be uh, totally much different than Smallville was. So it would almost be funny to have that version of, of Superman show up and be like, what are you doing to those poor like penguin goons? Uh, so I don't know. I, w I would definitely watch that. Well, my friend, thank you very much for joining me. I, you know, again, look, I wish I could say that, uh, I, you know, my position has changed. I do, I do genuinely understand why you liked the, the, the encore, the finale for the, the Clark Kent of Smallville. Uh, I, you know, I, I, w I wish I shared that, but, uh, again, there are aspects of it that I liked. 
Um, I'm glad, you know, we are definitely in agreement about whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. I mean, it, it's such a great story and I'm glad we got to talk about that as well. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else that you want to say before we sign off? The, the only thing that I thought was very interesting about the, the, uh, the man of tomorrow comic that I had never done the math for is I don't know if this was arbitrary, but knowing Alan Moore wasn't is, uh, uh, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm just going to call him the imp. The imp says, you know, I have been mischievous for, for 2,000 years. And I thought that was kind of funny because that would have been right around, you know, zero BC or AD or, or whatever it is. And then he's like, well, before then I was virtuous for 2,000 years. And I was like, well, now I kind of want to see that story. Like, there were definitely DC characters who existed in between uh, 2000 BC and, and zero. And it's like, was 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 the imp running around as some really noble character? Is he the lord of order or, or something? Like, it was one of those things where I was reading it today and I was like, wait, 2000 years? Like, that's far shorter a period of time than I thought you were talking about. So it was one of those things where it just jumped out at me where I was like, oh, man, I kind of I kind of want to see that story. Like, um you know, Alan Moore's written a lot of, uh, he's written many stories that deal with characters from from the fifth dimension. You know, Lo- Lois says in the story, he's difficult to look at because he has the three dimensions we're used to and a couple of other ones. Uh, Alan Moore's used that in, in many other stories. So the idea that that type of character was incredibly virtuous for, for 2,000 years, um, where other DC characters would have been, it's like, oh man, g- g- please give me six issues of that. I, I would definitely read that comic yeah very interesting i know i was thinking about that as well um well listen again thank you for uh for being part of this hope people enjoyed this is uh, this is uh, you know i I know i came in hot on this one i I guess i kind of stayed that way throughout i (laughs) i feel very strongly about this uh but again to those who who enjoyed that smallville scene i'm really glad that you did and uh yeah to anyone who hasn't read whatever happened to the man of tomorrow please do it's a brilliant story you're going to be back uh, for the next episode. We're going to be talking about Superman in the Golden Age. So that's the next trilogy of episodes. Uh, I'm going to be looking at Superman in the Golden, Silver, and Bronze Ages. So, you know, I've spent some time pre-crisis in the uh, the pre-crisis origins episode. Um, and then, of course, talking about this Alan Moore story now. Uh, but over the next three episodes, you know, I'll be looking at a selection of stories uh, from each of those eras. And I, I'm really excited. I think I think it'll be interesting. And then, of course, you and I are also doing our Grant Morrison New X-Men discussion. So part one is out now. Part two will be out in a week. So if you enjoy listening to the two of us, uh, there's a lot already out and more to come. Uh, so thank you, Mike. Thank you to our audience. Uh, hope we'll see you next time. And until then, um, what is my sign-off for this show? <laughs> See, this is the problem. You know, I do these multiple shows, and occasionally it hasn't. I don't know that it's happened yet, where I've had the uh, the wrong intro, where I've said the wrong name of the show. I don't know that that's happened. Uh, and with the sign off, yeah, this might be the first time I could cut this, but I'm not. I'm I'm going to leave it in here uh, because in my time of saying that, it's it's come to me. So uh, again, thank you to everyone for, for checking this out. Uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, and until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Greg Schiegel, music by Basic Printer. If you like what you heard, be sure to listen to My Comic Shop History, available on most major podcast platforms. Sign up for exclusive additional content, including the Digging for Kryptonite companion podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. And watch my documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, out now on Apple TV and Amazon.